that last uh, yesterday, we had such a great time with some of the men of our church, and we got to pray and get equipped. And I just want to thank you, brothers that are here that made it. And we're planning to have another one on April 22nd, so look out for that. But uh, this morning, we're going to continue our series uh, called The Resurrection and the Life. And it is probably one of the most well-known passages, stories in the Bible that you're, you probably know, and it's the raising up of Lazarus. And so we looked at the first six verses last week, and we're going to look at the following um, verses here. And this morning is going to be John 11, verses 7 through 16. So go ahead and grab your Bibles and go to John 11, and we're going to read these passages. And as I end the reading, let's, let's say together, thanks be to God. Amen. As I uh, end at the very end. So let's, this is uh, the word of the Lord, John chapter 11, verse 7. Then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews tried to stone you, and yet you're going back there. Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? A man who walks by day will not stumble, for he sees by this world's light. It is when he walks by night that he stumbles, for he has no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I was glad I was not there so that you may believe. And let us go to him. Then Thomas called twin or Didymus said to the rest of the disciples, let us go, that we may die. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let's let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. Thank you that we come before your word with an open heart and a mind ready to receive that you have for us, not just intellectually, but on a heart level, that we as a people of God may want to go on your mission, live out all that you've given us, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, that in every which way we may live out what you tell us here in these passages, that we as a people of God may be on mission, may be on mission with our families, may be on mission with our neighbors, may be on mission within our local communities. Father, help us to see that you're the one that came with your mission to save us, that we may go out there and save others. Father, we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And so uh, let me begin with, um, we're going to talk a little bit about one missionary in particular, but one of the hardest things in life, and as I was looking at this text and considering how to begin here this morning, is really um, transition. Transitioning from one place to the other, from one stage of life to another. Uh, My family, uh, starting in 2012, we lived in um, East Newark, New Jersey, uh, then we moved to Union, New Jersey. Okay, this is 2012. Then we moved to uh, Mount Laurel, New Jersey, 2013. Then we moved to Turkey, 2014. Then we moved to Moorestown, 2015. You keeping up with me? All right. Then we moved back to East Newark, 2015 again. Then we moved back to Union, 2016. Then we moved here, 2019. Now, if you want to talk about transition, do you have any, you know, do you know what this is about? We, with four kids, by the way. And I share this not to be the hero of the story. I'm sharing 
Transitioning is hard. Moving, leaving a job, leaving your sense of comfort is extremely difficult. And it's often hard because you have to leave what you love. People, jobs, family. But we do it, why? Because at the end of the day, we have a mission. If you leave one job to another, it's because you have a mission of making more money, right? If you, buy, you save for a house, your mission is to get that bigger room. If you move to another place, your mission is that your kids will have a better education. You want that school system. You have a mission. That's the way, that's why we transition. That's the way we, that's why we do what we do. And as we think about um, Jesus himself, we know that he came with a mission. And one of those examples of that mission has to do, uh, I'm going to give you one example of a man who lived a mission for Christ. His name is uh, David Livingstone. Maybe you know him. You, maybe you've heard of him. He was a Christian missionary in Africa in the 19th century. He was an explorer. Many of the maps that you have of Africa were based out of his writings and his journals. Um, he lived there for 30 years in primarily what is called today Zambia and Zimbabwe, sharing the gospel, uh, preaching to the unreached, and he was called a man of three wives. The, the, the river, um, uh, abolishment against slavery, and the gospel. But in those 30 years that he spent in Africa, uh, hear this, he was married, and his kids never went on a mission with him. In fact, his kids stayed back in Scotland and you, when you read his journals, and you can, you can Google his journals, and I mean, there's a bunch of them that he has, you read over and over again his pain of leaving his kids behind for five to seven years at a time. Now, picture leaving your kids as infants for five to seven years for that while. And if you come from an immigrant family like you know, I, I came from, you, you kind of get a little bit of that. You understand the sacrifices that your parents make. But here, I want to read to you just a couple of things that, that he says here. Uh, He says this while he's in Africa. I I can scarcely say how I feel at parting with my family. We'll leave them to the care of the Almighty. Oh, how I wish I would have them with me. Uh, It is hard to work here. Uh, Elsewhere, he wrote, The act of orphanizing my children, which now becomes painfully near, will be like tearing out my bowels, for they will all forget me. There's, we've got a lot we, can, a lot we can say about him. You know, how can you leave your kids? And there's books about his parenting style. But I'll just say this. This man had a mission. This man had a mission, which is why he did this. Livingston was committed to the mission of spreading the gospel and improving the lives of those in Africa. But he's an, you're an example of that. He's an example of that. But there is another one whom we worship this morning who had a mission. His name is Jesus. And I want to remind you as we begin to open these passages that Jesus didn't just come to give you a great life. Jesus didn't just come you to give you a nice story for you to teach your kids. Jesus had a mission, and I want to remind you a little bit about that mission. And it might encourage you, it might give you a different shade of who Jesus is, a different side of that diamond of who he is. And let me read you just a couple of verses. This is Matthew 1.21. This is talking about the birth of Jesus. This is the narrative story. You know this in Christmas. She will give birth, talking about Mary, she will give birth to a son, and you're to give him the name Jesus because he will what? He will save people from their sins. What was Jesus' mission? He came to save people from their sins. Yes, he gave you a model of morality. He gave you teachings that are really insightful, but his mission, when you get to it, was to save people. 
Elsewhere, we read in Mark 10, 45, for even the Son of Man, talking about himself, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life uh, for a, as a ransom for many. Jesus was going to save people by giving his life for people. He wasn't just going to do it as if it was a magical potion. He was going to do it by some divine way, which should be his own life. Jesus says it more plainly, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Now, before you get offended, you're like, lost? I'm not, I'm not lost. I mean, I'm, you know who I am. I'm the director of so-and-so company. I got a bachelor's and I got a master's degree. I'm not lost. I got a doctor's degree. Before you say all that, let me tell you what lost is. Lost is a descriptive term of every person without belief in Christ. It describes a person. It identifies those who are far away from their father. What was lost was the most precious thing to God. Those who were made in His image, who were marred and stained by sin and could no longer come before a holy God. What do you do when your child's lost at the mall? What do you do? You freak out. You start asking and you run and you find them. Well, this is what Jesus came. He was running. He had a mission. He didn't come to play around. In these passages this morning, what Jesus does is he gathers his disciples and he has a mission. You know what his mission is? To raise Lazarus from the dead. That's the mission. But before he does it, he spends these next, um, what is it, seven, uh, ten verses or nine verses, and he prepares them for this mission. He, he tells them how this is going to take place and in it, giving us a model, a picture for us of our own mission. How you are, as believers, all of us in this room are called to live out the mission of God. So I'm going to give you these four, and, and we're going to see here uh, four lessons from the Lazarus mission. That, that's <laughs> the Lazarus mission. Risk is integral to God's mission. You're going to see this in the opening verse. Uh, two, timing is critical to God's mission. Belief is the goal of God's mission. And imitation is necessary to God's mission. If you're here this morning and you're saying, uh, I want to know what my purpose is in life. I am empty. I'm bored. I got nothing to do. I'm just, uh, I don't know what I'm meant to do. He, this morning, this is Jesus pulling you to the side and saying, All right, I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to tell you what I'm doing to Lazarus. And then you're going to go ahead and do the same. And so with that, let's look at first here the Risk is integral to the mission. So go uh, again to John chapter 11, and let's read verse 6 and 7 for context. Because with Jesus pulling his disciples as he's about to live out this mission, he gives them this lesson. Here's the word. He says this, When he heard Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then, after this, he said to the disciples, Let us go where? Judea. Again. Now, like backtrack a little bit, two days have passed. Now, Jesus was ready to embark on this mission to raise Lazarus from the dead. If you remember, uh, Lazarus' sisters uh, said uh, that he was ill. It, two days had passed, so, I mean, he's pretty dead if you keep reading the story at this moment. But, but what Jesus does, and maybe you don't see it on first reading, but once you read it again, you begin to think, wait, where's Lazarus at? He's in Bethany. What is Jesus saying? Judea. Jesus directs their attention to the wider region of Judea when discussing their, destined, uh, their destination. Now, this is important, and uh, you know, I don't have a picture for this. I forgot to do this. I wish I would have had it. But just like there's 50 states in the U.S., there were five states at this time in the first century. 
All, you probably know most of them. Three of them, of course, Samaria, Galilee, and Judea. And they were divided. Each one was divided. And they were divided by, uh, with their own cities and towns. Um, they had different governments and different rulers. In Judea, you had King Herod. Uh, and, and so what made uh, Judea probably more important than any other state was that Jerusalem was there. The religious temple of Israel was there. So everybody from all these five states would come to Jerusalem one or twi- once or twice a year to offer sacrifices. So why does this matter? Well, because Jesus had been in Jordan. If you, if you read uh, John 10, 41 and 42, we read that last week, that Jesus was across the Jordan. And now he was heading back and he could have gone to Bethany But instead, he says Judea, and and what I want you to see is what it prompts his disciples to say. Um, Look at verse 8. His disciples said to him, Rabbi, uh, uh, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus, John chapter 10, festival of dedication. How did it end? Jesus makes this trip to the temple And it ends with a threat of stoning, John chapter 10, verse 31, and an arrest, John chapter 10, verse 39. When the disciples hear Judea, you know what they're thinking? Persecution, danger. We don't go where there is danger, Jesus. We don't want you to die yet. Judea was synonymous with persecution and hatred towards Jesus. Jesus was obviously going to Bethany, but if you've read anything about Jesus, you know that Jesus makes pit stops. You know that Jesus walks around and people pull him up. He goes, I'll go to your house. Let's hang out. Uh, I need prayer. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to heal you. I'm going to spend time with you. So the disciples were probably thinking, well, why can't we just make a straight shot to Bethany and not deal with people and not be in danger? They were not thrilled at the possibility of revisiting places where they weren't welcomed or possibly persecuted. You, you guys feel some of that? You guys feel some of that tension that... The disciples were not ready to live out risk for the sake of this mission, even if it meant raising somebody from the dead, somebody that Jesus loved. Now, I want to say this as we begin to read the rest of these passages, is that the mission to raise people from the dead is risky. The mission to, risk, uh, the mission to raise people from the dead is risky. The idea of persecution and hardship is inevitable to our current um, culture. Even for the spread of the gospel, it's, a, it's an anomaly. How can we, I mean, look at us, how safe we live and how, what a great house I have and a great job that I have. How can I possibly risk anything? It is shocking to us. But this is what Jesus said in Mark 8, 34. Call to the crowd and his disciples. Another time he's calling them. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and do what? Follow me. Doesn't say follow me and then pick up your cross. It says pick up your cross first. Take those things that are, you think are risky, those things that are ultimately going to bring Jesus to, to death and persecution and death. And he says that's the characteristics of disciples of Jesus. Now, this is kind of rubbing you like, Pastor, I don't really need that right now, Lord. Just tell me that everything is going to be okay. Everything's going to be okay, but you have a mission. And to accomplish this mission, it requires us to consider the risk for the mission because Jesus did. And you know what he said? Let us go. Let us go. Now, let me give you an example of this. In 2018, 26-year-old American John Allen Chow, and maybe you've 
you've heard about this story, made several attempts to uh, reach the most isolated tribe in the northern Indian Ocean, the Sentinelese people. For centuries, people would leave this tribe alone because it was too dangerous. They would threaten them violently to kill them. Now, he had prepared for three and a half years to go to school, become a missionary. He uh, learned some of the language, had a waterproof Bible. He paid a fisherman to take him near the island, and then he went on his kayak. And then he began to kayak, and he began to be attacked the moment about 100 feet away from this island. Of course, he was told by authorities, you can't do that. It's too dangerous. You cannot do this. This is madness. And this is what he wrote in his diary that same night after he was attacked. My name is John, I wrote. I said this, I love you. Jesus loves you. Jesus Christ gave me authority to come to you. Now, that's not all. He wrote this. Oh, there we go. Uh, Lord, is this, island, is this island Satan's last stronghold where none have heard or even had a chance to hear your name? You guys might think I'm crazy and all this, he said, but I think it's worth it to declare Jesus to these people. Please do not be angry at, at them, at God, if I get killed. The next day, the fishermen that dropped him off came to see him, and they found his body being buried by this tribe. News, you sent shockwaves, and whatever, again, whatever you think about these missionaries and people, let me say this, that they had a mission. The mission of spirit of the gospel is not without danger of losing our reputation, losing our dreams, or even possibly our lives. Matthew 5.10, I know this, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of God. When Jesus gathered his disciples and he says, let us go on this mission, let us go and do this thing that God has called us to do, he first tells them, we're going to go through danger. We're going to go through risk. Judea was risky, but it was worth it. And so is the mission of God. And so... Uh, I want you to see now verse 9 as we think about the, the timing that is critical for God's mission. Look at verse 9 and 10. Jesus goes into this proverb that's so obvious that you go, why does he say that? Look at verse 9 and 10. Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. Verse 10, it is when a person walks at night that they stumble for they have no light. Jesus is talking about danger, talking about Judea, Lazarus, and he comes up with this light and darkness story, metaphor. What is Jesus saying here? What does this have to do with Lazarus? Jesus talking about some natural thing that daytime you work and nighttime you're sa- you're, 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 you're da- you know, it's dangerous at night and it's uh, safe in the morning. That's obvious. But think about this. During ancient times, people worked only when the sun was up primarily in two, uh, two blocks of time, 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. and 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. They had a limited time to accomplish their task and work. After 6 p.m. hit, you know what they didn't have? What, what is this thing called? Uh, smartphone? Social media? Work? Emails? All right? Uh, you know, old Joseph Shepherd guy at 6 p.m., he was stretching. He was ready to go to bed at 7 and wake up for the following day. You and uh, maybe me, possibly, were working. We're sending emails. We're just, we're at night, I mean, this is why this, this text probably doesn't really compute. What does this have to do with anything? Because we're overworkers. We are work without stop, without stopping. 
Again, no emails, no classes to attend, no work after uh, work. Many people uh, had manual jobs like fishing, shepherding, and uh, working as bond servants. And many of them knew that after 6 p.m., things got dangerous. You try to be a shepherd in first century uh, Judea, uh, when you have 50 sheep around you, uh, you're going to be scared of two things, wolves and other shepherds that are going to try to steal your sheep. In the dark, at nighttime, it was a higher probability for you to trip over and fall and hurt yourself. Jesus says in verse 10 that a person that walks at night is more susceptible to tripping over because they have what? No light. There is no light. Now, was Jesus just trying to tell us to like, you know, hey guys, by the way, this is how the sun works and this is how the night works and uh, just be careful with that obstacle, right? Don't trip over. That's not what Jesus was getting at because Jesus was talking about who? Himself. Jesus was... Uh, was meant that just as a man has 12 hours of work at daylight, Jesus had a divine time allotted for him to work for the Father. There was a, a, a specific time that God had given him for him to accomplish his mission that we read earlier. Jesus is willing to risk, go through Judea, even though this, there were enemies there, because time was running out. He had a limited time you know until when? Until he would be crucified. And as we read in the end of Matthew, the earth became what? Dark. Remember that story? The, there was earthquake and the earth became dark and he stumbled on the, at the hands of the Jews. Jeez, I don't know if you see that in this text, but here, this makes it more clear. Oh, maybe I don't have Okay, there you go. John 9, verse 4. This is, if you want to go, what, what, is, what is he really saying here? As long as it is day, this is Jesus, and then plural to you and me, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is what? It's coming. When no one can work. If I could summarize it in our terms, you know what Jesus is saying? It's time to do the mission. It's time for you to do what God has called you to do. It is time to make that shift. It is time to transition. It is time to move forward. Time is running out and time is short. Now, before you begin to think like, Omar, are you saying that I have to be like David Livingstone and I have to be like, you know, um, uh, uh, John Allen Chow? Like, that is what he's calling me to do? Uh, could be for some of you. But let me get, let me get personal here. Let me, let me go deep together here as a family. You have an allotted time, an allotted time given by God, a daytime right now where you can grow in your marriage in prayer. You have an allotted time where you can pray every day with your wife with the power of the Holy Spirit and grow spiritually. You have an allotted time where you can spend time with your kids and teach them the gospel every single day, morning and evening. Now, if that sounds, that's boring. I can't do that. Let me say this. Time is running out. Your kids are going to be 15, 16, 17 years old. Your husband and wife, you're going to grow old. You're going to have death, loss, and things happen in your life where you might not even be able to pray together. You might not be able to talk to one another. You have a lot of time to make an impact of the gospel right where you are. You have a lot of time to tell your neighbor, to tell your coworker, Jesus saves. You have a, a, a short amount of time. Yes, it is dangerous. Yes, it is work. Have you tried to lead kids into a devotional morning and evening for about a month? It is hard. It is dangerous too. I'm just going to say it. It is it's dangerous. But man, think about this. How many times, minutes, hours, months have you and I wasted when there is daylight? 
I'll never forget what one uh, worship leader told me once when I was leading in a church. Maybe you heard this. I've said this before, I think. But, but he told me, uh, you know, Omar, when you're 40 years old, you're going to calm down. Like right now, you're, yeah, I, I was 20 years old. And I was evangelized. I was preaching. I was every, every day who went to hear Jesus, I was with them. And then he goes, Omar, calm down. When you get to like be a pastor, that changes. Because then you become professional. Then, you know, you have to kind of lead things, and you have to worry about budget. And he said, you'll see when you have kids and when you're old how your relationship with God changes. You're just going to show up on Sunday morning. You're not, you're not going to want to be worshiping every day. Here I am 40 years old, 20 years later, and I go, no, that is not what I want to be. Time is running out. My kids are going to be teenagers soon. My little one, before I know, will be 20, and all I've developed in him has been given in this 15-year period of spiritual formation. You and I, our time is running out. How much daylight hours do you have? Ask yourself that question this morning. How many hours have you wasted self-pity, consoling yourself, tired of the world? Wah, 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 wah. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, I'm just saying. You, you guys hear what I'm saying? Jesus is getting his disciples, and he's going, guys, we got to go. Oh, we don't want to go. Time is running out. Oh, my goodness. Really? Time is running out. Time is running out. Now, let me, give you, let me give you this passage here. Be careful, then, how you should live, not as the unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because what? The days are evil. Not only are they short, but if you turn on your television and you go on that Facebook thing, it's evil. Things are changing rapidly. And you're getting caught up in the culture. Pull out and begin to say time is running out. Here's, um, oh, okay, let me give you another, another passage here. Uh, Colossians 4, 5. Be wise with the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most out of every opportunity. John Piper said you get one pass at life. That's all, one. At the, at, uh, at the lasting measure of your life is Jesus Christ. Jesus is urging us as his disciples, as he's gathering them around him, to not fear the world. Do not fear what may come. Do not fear your job. Do not fear your boss. You know why? Because you have a greater mission. Because you have a greater calling. A calling that's transcendent. You'll be surprised how good you work when time is running out. You ever try to do a project at work? Well, maybe, that, maybe that's just me. I like when there's no time because, you know, maybe, maybe that's a procrastinator in me. But, you know, when you have no time and you have a deadline, what happens? You, you're on that deadline. You're working and you, you're organized. And you didn't know how you could be so organized because you have a deadline and time is running out. Well, here we have the nighttime that will come when Jesus returns and there will be no more time for us to preach the gospel. There will be no more time for you to instill in your kids values of the gospel where there will be no, no more time for you to be with your brothers and sisters here on a Sunday morning. There will be no more time. But Jesus is not done. Jesus points the goal that belief is the goal of the mission. What's the end game? Why are we going in this mission with Jesus? Because it's about people believing in Jesus as the Son of God. Look at verse 11 through 15. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. I am going there to wake him. Now, before we keep reading, who's going to wake him? Jesus. You notice that he says, let us go. He says, our friend. And then he goes, yeah, yeah, but I'm going to do the waking up. You have Jesus with you in this mission. All right, verse 12. Jesus replied, his disciples, sorry, his disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. 
Verse 13, Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought him in natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, I kind of I laugh when I, when I watch this, when I listen to this, uh, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake, I am glad I was not there. So that you may what? Believe. Here's the goal. Believe. But now, let us go to him. So you have first, what does Jesus say? Let us go to Judea. Then he gives them this um, uh, night, daytime and nighttime illustration. Then he gives them this uh, he's only asleep idea. Then he goes, let us go. Let us go. Let us go. But before we tackle this belief part, I, I want to go into a little segue here and look at this word of sleep. Jesus begins to teach them something that they do not understand yet, and it has to do with what happens after we die. This is one of several places in the scriptures where death is described for believers as sleep. In the Old Testament, uh, when someone died, it would be said they would go to rest with their forefathers. Luke tells the story of Stephen, who was the first martyr in Acts chapter 7. It says that Stephen fell asleep. In 1 Thessalonians 4.13, Paul says this, Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about, about those who sleep in death. In the Bible, sleep is used to distinguish the death of an unbeliever and the death of a believer. This is evident probably in another story in Matthew chapter 9 where you, you hear Jesus being called to save this young girl and her parents say, she's dead. And Jesus says, no, no, she's not dead. She's just sleep. The concept of death in the Bible presents two important ideas about what happens to us when we die. One, think about what happens when you sleep. What happens when you sleep? Uh, you rest. Your body is getting re-energized. You begin to, when you, how do you wake up the next day? I mean, hopefully you sleep more than eight hours a day, so you're refreshed and you feel great. When we think about sleep for the believer, we're talking about a resting in the comfort of God, a resting in the promises, feeling and knowing, apart from our physical body, which remains here on the earth and will come and will be resurrected again when Jesus returns, but our souls are with God. They, they rest in the arms of God. But two... Another thing that's, I mean, I was thinking about this, it's pretty awesome. They also give us rest from the work of earthly service. Man, are you tired of work? Anybody here tired of work? Man, oh, all right, all right, there we go. All right, everybody's like, I want to quit my job. I don't want this job. All right, if you're one of the few that loves your jobs, God bless you. Can you pray for us? And, uh, but if you, uh, but really, um, most people are exhausted because of work. And you want to know one of the great promises of the resurrection? And I know, I know this is going to sound weird, but the moment we die, we don't have to work anymore. Oh, my goodness. We're going to be with Jesus. We're going to be with him. He's going to be like, Omar, you're here. It's all over. I know it was long, but you're resting now. All our physical toils, our anxieties, our mental problems that we all have, our identity issues that we carry are done when we rest and sleep in God. Paul said this, to be away from the body is to be present with the Lord. Hallelujah, amen? That's our promise. That's a promise for us. This is beautiful. And, and so let me read to you what A.W. A, um, a. Pink says, death um, is a portal through which a believer passes from this scene, this scene of sin and toil to a scene of eternal bliss. 
Now, listen to what his disciples are thinking. What are they thinking? Oh, he's asleep. Okay, he's talking about real sleep. Now, uh, I do want to give credit to the disciples because, you know, they know one thing, sleep is medicinal. So they think if he sleeps, then he's going to be better. Think about your children, how many times they come to your bed at around 2 a.m. in the morning, and they're like, can I have food and water and, and, and the gummy bears? And you're like, go to bed. Go to sleep, because why? You're going to be better in the morning. We're like, we're like the disciples, right? We, we know this, and we see this. And so the disciples understand that it has medicinal, medicinal purposes. But can I just add something here? Perhaps, I don't want to push too much in the text, but they already told you that they don't want to go to Judea, right? And here they go, and they go, Lord, if he sleeps, it's going to get better. I'm going to add this here. Why go to Judea after all? He's going to be better, Jesus. And by the way, I mean, if I'm a disciple, this is what I'm thinking. Can you just, like, say it and he can be healed? I mean, I'm thinking of all these possibilities for me not to get killed as I go back into this dangerous place. The ultimate goal of this mission, though, as we see here, is that people may believe. And that's what Jesus is saying. And so as we think about the goal, as we think about why we do what we do, do we do it so that people may, in some ways, uh, find freedom from, um, from their ailments? Yes. Do, do we serve a cup of soup to, to those in need because we should do what's just and, and, and love the image of God? Yes. We should do as much outreach, as much good things as we can. We should give. We should do all that. But the primary reason where we share the gospel, the primary reason we go to raise people from the dead is that they may believe in Jesus as divine, as the Son of God, above whom there is no other. Now look at this. Look what happens later on um, in John 11. This is after, uh, right before he uh, resurrects Lazarus from the dead. And this is, he's talking to Martha here. Jesus said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And here's the question. Do you believe this? You guys see this? I mean, here's Jesus trying to get to his disciples. Here's why. And then he shows up. He goes, do you believe this? Here's the mission. Do you believe that I have the power to raise people from the dead? Looking future. You know who he's thinking about? You and me. He has the power to raise dead people in their sin and raise them into life. Belief is the goal of the mission. And John's letters are full of this theme. In John chapter 5, verse 13, 1 John uh, chapter 5, verse 13, I write these things to you that you may believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. It's all about belief, brothers and sisters. How can we grow in our belief in Jesus and how do we run the mission for others to believe in Jesus? So in one sense, Jesus was simply using this mission to encourage his disciples, but the other mission was to encourage and strengthen these disciples who have these questions about risk and danger. So let me tell you, if you don't know what belief is, and i just give you this definition, belief in Jesus is to be confident about the reliability of his words and his act for your life is the confidence that he is who he says he is, that he is trustworthy insofar as you give your life to him, that you open your life as an open book and tell him, do as you may, Jesus. So what is the response of the disciples? Now, you've heard all this, and here we go. Jesus has given everything you need to understand the mission. He's given them the timing. He's given them the, the goal. He's told them this risk. 
Look at verse 16. Then Thomas, maybe it sounds familiar to you, also known as the twin, or Didymus, that's what Didymus means, said to the rest of the disciples, let us what? Go. Let us go. That what? That we may die with him. Now, we've got to pull it back a little bit. You guys know who Thomas is? Come on. Come on. You, you've been to Sunday school. Who is Thomas in the Bible? How do you know Thomas in the Bible? There we go. This guy right here doesn't really sound like Doubting Thomas to me. Doubting Thomas it refers to one of Jesus' disciples who famously doubted Jesus' resurrection by saying this, um, by saying this, unless I see the nail marks in his hand and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not, what? Believe. Here we go. A week later, this is what, <laughs> this is what happened. This is, Jesus, um, this is Jesus to Thomas. Put your finger here. See my hands here. Reach out your hand. Put it into my side. Stop doubting and what? Believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord, my God. All right. Listen, Thomas gets a bad rap, okay? I get it. You call, I know you call people that and all that. But this is, I'm just saying, I was so encouraged because there are times in my life where I'm a doubting Thomas. And here is Thomas hearing all that Jesus is saying about the mission, about this raising this man from the dead. And he goes, oh man, I'm ready to go. Where you send me? I'm going to go, not only that, but I'm going to die. <laughs> He's willing to die. He recognizes the imminent danger going south and he's willing to follow Jesus. And this, this tells us that the disciples received Jesus' teaching and were beginning to grasp the mission. They have to imitate Christ. That was the mission. Oh, so, so we got to do what he does and we got to go through what he went through. We got to die. I got it now. Have you ever had a moment, an aha moment in your life and you go, I get it. I see the disciples here. And, and you know, Thomas is a spokesperson for the disciples. It says there, that Thomas talks to the disciples. He tells them, let us go that we may die with him. Belief in the person of Jesus, being transformed by the power of God, leads us to an imitation of Jesus in our own lives. We begin to see Jesus as the model, and we begin to live like him, and we model him even, where, even wherever, or wherever it may be that he calls us. Now, Thomas was already grasping what we read later in the New Testament. I'll read you a couple of passages here. This is 2 Timothy 2.11. This is a trustworthy saying. If we died with him, we will also live with him. Philippians 1.21, for me to live, live is Christ and to die is gain. All right? So here you have Thomas, doubted, who would be doubting later, uh, comes to this place and he finds safety. These disciples find and, and admit and receive the words of Jesus and set out to accomplish the mission. Four times in these passages, you see this, let us go, let us go, let us go. And let us go. What is God trying to tell us this morning, do you think? Let us go. Say it with me. That's a very simple application, isn't it? <laughs> it's in the text. When, Jas- when, when Jesus had prepared, when Jesus, and here's the application for this morning as we, as we begin to pray. And, and here, just hear my heart in this and hear the Lord in this. When Jesus has prepared us, we must be willing to go. When Jesus has prepared us, we must be willing to go and accomplish his mission. Jesus had walked with Jesus for three and a half years. They had been taught by Jesus. 
the trip had provided, this trip had provided further encouragement to their faith in Christ, and they all said, we're ready, it's time. And for many of us that remain with Jesus for 15, 20, 25 years, and we're still sitting in the same place, in the same moment, and waiting for another training, another prayer, another verse, another sermon, when what is he telling us to do? Go! That's right. Now, let me read to you one last passage as we close. This is Acts 1.8. And you know, I want you to go there. I want you to read this with me. Go to Acts 1.8. There would be another time where Jesus would tell his disciples to go. In this time, Jesus was going back to the Father. And the disciples now were the ones who were going to go. And in, and in Acts 1a, I want you to hear what Jesus is imploring his disciples. He says this, but you will receive power from the Holy Spirit uh, comes upon you. So wait for the power of God, the Holy Spirit. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Let, let, me, let me add my parentheses. Danger. In all of Judea. Danger. All of Samaria. Gentiles. And to the ends of the earth, the unknown. This is where Jesus is calling his disciples. And for you, your Jerusalem may be just your four kids. Your Jerusalem may be your marriage, who you need to strengthen and have a deeper relationship of prayer and the word. And maybe your Jerusalem, maybe your Judea is your neighbors that always seem to love you and always come to your house. And you're just like, I wonder why everybody loves me. I wonder why everybody shows up in my house and I'm always the host. Maybe your Samaria is your workplace. Maybe the ends of the earth is that you're called to leave. Maybe you're here in this room and you're called to go to the Middle East. Maybe you're here in this room and you're called to leave everything behind with your family and share the gospel to more than 1.2 billion people who've never heard the gospel. Maybe that's you. Maybe it's not. But this morning, Jesus gives us the tools to accomplish or the elements to accomplish his mission. If you want to raise people from the dead, you got to let them do it. If you want to raise people from the dead spiritually, there's going to be risk. There's timing. Time is urgent. It's about belief. It's not about ministry or organization. It's not about a leader, a charismatic guy. It's about belief in Jesus. And ultimately, it's about the Lord himself being worshipped. So let us pray. And um, what I'm going to do this morning is... Um, if, if you need prayer this morning, I'm going to ask uh, uh, Chrissy if you could help me with prayer. And I don't know if Michael's around. No, maybe he's, oh, you're here. Just going to have Michael and Chrissy on the corners. And I'm going to have the worship team just play some. And I'm going to pray. And if you want to pray too, just pray out loud. I want you to just pray your heart to the Lord. And if you need prayer, we'll have these two folks here that will be ready to pray for you. So let me encourage you as we begin. Father, we come before you this morning. We see this text where you are these disciples and you are talking about going somewhere. Let us go, let us go, let us go, let us go. Father, I ask you that your Holy Spirit may begin to bring to mind our own failures of, of going in our own home, our own failures of going in our own marriages, the lack of prayer, the lack of reading Scripture, the lack of just having spiritual conversations in, in our own marriages, in our children's lives, in the lives of our children's friends, in the lives of, of our neighbors, of people, or even in our own church. Father, I do pray that you may um, help us to, to, um, to do this, to consider these things. And 
to go, to go when you have prepared us. Father, we love you. Fill us with your Holy Spirit, Lord. Amen. Let us pray. Let, right where we are, just pray. Feel free to pray out loud. And, and again, we'll have uh, two prayer um, people here to pray for you.